Welcome to Battleground. Today is Wednesday, July 29th, and we are with Danny Vargas. Danny, welcome to the show. You have a long track record doing a lot of things here in D.C. around politics, in politics. You guys just got a major win this week. Tell us about it. Well, thanks very much, my friend. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. So on Monday, the House of Representatives passed unanimously on a voice vote the National Museum of the American Latino Act, uh, which is the first step in actually moving forward with the process of creating this brand new Smithsonian Museum in Washington, DC. Uh, we're very excited about it. It's taken us uh, 26 years to get here. Uh, and the next step is to get it passed in the Senate. So we've got a lot of work ahead of us, but uh, we took an opportunity to, to run a victory lap and, and to celebrate on Monday. That's fantastic, and it was obviously a bipartisan effort as well, right? I saw a bunch of uh, a bunch of our friends on the other side tagged and uh, celebrating as well. It looks like uh, th there is bipartisanship in D.C. after all, huh? Yes, uh, bipartisanship is, is alive and well, go figure. Uh, no, we've had great champions over the years uh, for this initiative. Uh, the first bill that was introduced in Congress to create the commission uh, to study the feasibility uh, of this museum was introduced in 2003-2004 by Ileana Ross Layden, the first Latina in Congress, a Republican Congresswoman from Florida. That good friend. Um, yeah. yeah, she's a great uh, leader. She's now on our board of directors and, and Javier Becerra, Democrat of California. Yeah. Uh, and that bill finally passed in 2008 and was signed by President Bush. So, so it's been a long had great bipartisan support, the, the lead. Oh, yeah, man, it's, it's been a long time. But for those of us that have remained involved, I was one of the commissioners uh, and then went on to serve on the board of the Friends Group, this 501c3 Friends of the National Museum of America Latino. Yep. Uh, for several years, I've been the chairman for three and a half years. And uh, we do it because it's a labor of love, because it's a legacy initiative. It's something that really is about a more complete and accurate telling of American history. It's a red, white, and blue patriotic initiative that really helps all Americans understand who we are as a nation um, and really goes back in history and looks at the, the untold chapters of the story. And you know what, and I'm glad you brought that up. And that's one of the things that, um, that, that, that I wanted to touch a little bit on and that, you know, we touch, you know, we, we try and highlight here on Battleground and obviously on my organization, Hispanic Leadership Council, is the contributions of Hispanics, of Latinos, to the United States. History goes way, way back. Obviously, the, 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 the oldest city in the United States, St. Augustine in Florida, Spanish city, right? Um, mm -hmm. Our history goes back, right? And it goes back oh. a long time. And it goes, it goes back, back a long time. Before. Yeah, and it goes, I'll, I'll let you run with it, but that's kind of what I'm, I'm throwing you this volley. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. Look, the, 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 um, we're told in elementary school that the American story begins when the British arrived in Jamestown, Virginia in 1607 to establish the first permanent British settlement. 1607. That's what we're told in elementary school. Well, as far as I'm concerned, the real story of American, uh, the, the American story begins 114 years before that on Columbus's second voyage to the New World when Columbus arrives on the shores of what is now U.S. territory in Puerto Rico. So it's by the time the British get to Jamestown, there's already been a bunch of Latinos saying, bienvenidos, what took you so long? <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. And, so, and not a lot of people get that, right? Yeah. So, and as a, as a veteran myself, I served in the Air Force. 
I like to talk about our, our military contributions. So General Washington, the, the father of our nation, likely would not have won the War of Independence were it not for Spanish General Bernardo de Galvez and the over 11,000 Spanish troops, many of which came from Cuba, Puerto Rico, Central America, who stemmed the advance of the British from the South, fighting in battles like in Pensacola and Mobile. Uh, so a lot of people don't know that. The first admiral of the United States Navy was during the Civil War. The guy that said, damn the torpedoes full speed ahead, his name was David Farragut, more accurately pronounced David Farragut, whose biological father was a Spanish soldier who fought for uh, the Patriots during the, the War of Independence. That's amazing. And you know what? And, and, and that's why I love having people like you on, Danny, because, you know, there's such a story and it's so conflicted because it's not told properly or fully and people just don't get it. You know, they, they, they just think that, you know, uh, Latinos, Hispanics, um, you know, our, our, our history in the U.S. starts sometime around uh, Ronald Reagan and uh, amnesty, right? No, we've, we've been here since long before the British got here. We've been here, here for whether, but whether you're here for uh, 20 generations uh, of families or whether you just recently know, you can be proud of the contributions that Hispanics have made to the, the building, the shaping and the defending of this country. Uh, so it's, this museum is about making sure that we can sort of fill those missing pages in our history books and tell the untold story so that we can uh, illuminate the American story for the benefit of everybody. This is not just an of, by, and for the Latino community. This is for everybody. So we get a better sense of who we are as a nation. Dude, that's fantastic. That is fantastic. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of the effort that everybody has put in, into making this happen. That, that story, you know, needs to be told. It's part of the fabric of America. Um, and, and I'm so glad it's going to be done the right way. Um, what, what's next, Annie? What happens next? So it passes on a voice vote in the House. So that's unanimous. Now it's got to go to the Senate. What's the appetite over there? What are you hearing? So uh, we're fortunate in that in the Senate, we've got also great bipartisan support. Uh, we've got 30 co-sponsors uh, right now. Uh, but, you know, our goal, well, I would love to be able to get to 67 co-sponsors. I need to get to that number. I need uh, a good number more of Republican senators. So that's what we're focused on right now is making sure that we can uh, get as many Republican senators as we possibly can. We've got folks all over the country uh, that are working on that. We've got national partners, over 100 national partners that we're relying on, social media influencers. Uh, I've written to these senators personally uh, with a list of fellow Republicans and conservatives and faith-based leaders and military leaders saying that this is uh, an important museum for our country, not just for our community. Uh, because, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we know that today Hispanics make up about 18% of the population. We're about 60 million people. Yep. But we know that by the year 2060, Hispanics will make up 30% of the population. So if we hope to remain a strong, thriving, and vibrant nation, that segment of the population needs to feel acknowledged, engaged, and invested in our future. So this, is, this really is a, a vital uh, initiative. That's fantastic. And what is, what, have you gotten any kind of signaling from the White House as far as the president signing this if it gets through the Senate? Sure. So, no, we've actually been uh, speaking with the White House for the last three and a half years, as you can imagine, about the, the initiative. Yeah. Uh, they're fully aware of it. We've had some wonderful feedback, some great conversations. Uh, you know, we keep uh, working on it. We keep talking to the, trying to get to the right people so we can get a statement of support. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, uh, by virtue of the fact that uh, 
we've made it very clear that this is going to be an initiative that really tells the untold story, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, because as you, as you know, history is not all just, you know, uh, you know, right. Rain, rainbows and sunshines. That's right. Right. Uh, so, but it's, it's a part of the story that hasn't been told. So part of the Smithsonian's mission is to collect and diffuse knowledge. Uh, and that's what we're hoping to do. Um, we can use everybody's help in getting us uh, to that point. So on our website, AmericanLatinoMuseum.org, they can go to the Take Action page and they can see how they can contact their senators and urge them to support the Senate bill. It's uh, S1267. Um, and you know, with that, if we can get to 67 senators and the White House and the president to sign the bill, we'll begin the probably 10-year process to actually build a museum to more fully tell the American story. Fantastic. And, uh, and what about, uh, I'm assuming you guys are, you guys are a C3, right? So donations, they can donate on your page as well, right? They can, they can absolutely donate on the page as well. We are a 501c3. Every penny that, uh, that we raise goes directly into making sure that we can advance uh, this bill and we can uh, start helping the process of, you know, collecting those stories and telling those stories and sharing those stories. Fantastic, Danny, and, and 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 there are some great stories. It's part of a part of the heritage of this country. Like I said, you know, it's it's it needs to be told. It should have been told a long time ago. I'm glad it's on its way to being told. Thanks to people like you, Danny. Danny, any parting words? Anything else that that, that you want to share that you think is important? You got our web. We we, we got your web page. There's an action uh, item there. Call your senators. Donate. What else can we do? What else can sure. we? No, thank you. I appreciate that. So in addition to sort of looking back at the last 500 years of Latino contributions, it's also about making sure that we can uh, explain the complexity, the diversity of our community today. Look, we are Afro-Latinos, we're Asian-Latinos, we're blonde-haired and blue-eyed, we're mulatos and mestizos and everything in between. We're not a race, we're a culture made up of some very foundational, fundamental values around family and faith and freedom and opportunity and optimism and pride and passion. And those are the qualities most in need of our country today. But it's also about inspiring future generations so that they can feel um, part of the future of America. And I have, the reason I've been involved for so long on this initiative is because, yes, I want to be able to walk into the museum one day with my children, and future grandchildren, but I also have a vision of a young Latina born today. And on her sixth grade field trip, she can visit Washington, D.C., and she can marvel at the monuments, and she can visit Capitol Hill, and she can go to the National Museums, including the American Latino Museum, and see all of these stories that we've been talking about. And she can leave that museum proud not only to be a Latina, but proud to be an American. That's right. Fantastic, man. Uh, thanks for being on the show, Danny. Hopefully you'll come back. I know there's a lot more to talk about. Um, but, man, congratulations on this big win. Count us in. We're supporting you. And, uh, and obviously, whatever we can do to help push this through the Senate, get your 67 votes, and, and hopefully the president will sign it. Thank you so much, my friend. God bless. Absolutely. Thank you. And don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back with more Battleground. Hey, by the way, have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me, tell you, let me explain. Let me tell you how it works. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast directly. It'll be heard on Spotify, Apple, and just about every other platform out there. So it's very, very easy to use, very user-friendly. And best of all, it lets you monetize that. So everything you need 
is all in one place. All you have to do is download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome back to Battleground. We have Bruce Abramson with us um, on this segment. Bruce is an author, uh, great conservative. He's got a, uh, a wealth of a background that uh, it's too long to list, so I'm going to let you, uh, Bruce, uh, highlight whatever you want. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming. Um, you've, read, you've written some awesome books, and I know you're here to talk about one of them, one of them that uh, is extremely important right now, uh, what we're facing, this Marxism, this radicalism, this, you know, whatever the hell they want to call it, progressivism. Um, you're the man. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Uh, kick it off, man. Well, thanks for having me, Ivan. Yeah, the, the book you're referring to is called American Restoration. And uh, the subtitle is um, How to Win America's Second Civil War. Uh, because that's what we're looking at here. We're in the middle of a civil war. We've got two groups in this country divided on everything. Uh, you know, what we're looking at right now is not a debate over policy. I mean, in a, healthy, in a healthy democracy, we would all agree sort of where we want to take the country, and we'd have lots of disagreements about how to get there. That's not okay. what we're looking at. And, looking you know, and I think in, in general, you, you would tend to mostly agree on 70% of the issues, right? But at this point, like you said, we're just so divided, uh, extremely divided. We, we have Republicans, conservatives who, who are capitalists. We have the other side who are Marxists. Um, well, it, it, it's even it's even deeper than that. I mean, there is a complete <laughs> there's a complete divergence of values. Um, we don't use words the same way, yep. and we see reality through different lenses. That's so right. it's it's really kind of hard to see how we come together. And let me let me launch into one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite areas, one of my favorite examples, where. Um, it seems like there's agreement and there really isn't. And that is my entire life, I have never once met a single American who was proud to be a racist. That's right. Okay, across the political spectrum, and I've known people on the hard left and people on the hard right, I'm sure they're out there somewhere, but I've never met a single one who was proud to stand up and claim to be a racist. Every single one of them agrees that racism is a bad thing. Yep. So that would seem to be a fundamental point of agreement, right? Correct. Except that it isn't because um, we don't agree on what racism means, right? I mean, you look at it right now, we've got an organization called Black Lives Matter. I'm not talking about the movement and I'm not talking about the people who like the bumper sticker and I'm not talking about the people who, who, you know, who think it's a great slogan. I'm talking about the organizations themselves, the people that found it, okay? Half the country thinks this is a racist movement, right. and the other half thinks this is an anti-racist movement. Yep. Clearly, there's something funky going on here, right? And we see things, we've seen things coming out of some of these rallies, even the peaceful ones, right? The really early, peaceful, beautifully orchestrated ones, where people would go into the crowds and calmly divide them into black people and white people, and then tell the white people to kneel down to the black people to atone for past sins, right? Now this is, you know, this is not the riots. These are literally the peaceful protesters. Those people are hardcore racists, every one of them. 
the whole idea that we should divide a crowd according to race and assign people racially appropriate roles, particularly where one racially appropriate role involves degrading or humbling yourself to another, that is hardcore definitional racism. Right. And somehow we're supposed to believe that this is an anti-racist rally. Right, right. And, and this whole business about white privilege. And I mean, look, you know, uh, they've come out publicly. They said they're Marxists. They want to destroy America. They, you know, <laughs> they, they don't like what America stands for. And they think they need to shut it down, destroy it, erase it. You know, this cancel culture and start all over again. Right. Um, yeah. And, and, and by the way, it's more than America. OK, they go back to, uh, you know, they, they don't accept the Judeo-Christian underpinnings. Right of Western civilization. And, and let me be very clear what I mean by that, right? At its core, right, at its core, um, Judeo-Christian civilization rests on a very simple principle. Only God is perfect. Correct. Humans are inherently flawed. We can improve, we can discipline ourselves, we can make things a little bit better, but we will never achieve perfection. So there will always be flaws in every human society. There will be flaws in every human individual. And we have to do our best to navigate and harness those and push them in positive directions, which, by the way, is a large part of what capitalism is. It's taking human flaws and channeling them right. Okay? That's not what progressives believe. Progressives come from a different tradition, same tradition as Marxism. And it's a utopian tradition. Right. What utopians believe is that the reason that human behavior is messed up is that we're operating in deeply flawed societies that were set up by people somewhere in the past. And if we can just perfect society, human perfection will follow. And once you take that attitude, you realize, of course, the ends justify the means. I mean, you know, maybe you don't want to wear a mask or go in for contact tracing or think that you have a right to own a gun or to voice an opinion, but, you know, or, or quite frankly, to run your air conditioner. But, I mean, come on, you're standing in the way of a perfect society. Your energy consumption is going to destroy the world, right? Your gun ownership is part of a proliferation of weaponry that, that, that makes people, you know, angry and belligerent. I mean, you know, really, you're standing in the way of a perfect society. I mean, you know, you're talking about rights all you want, but uh, let's not be selfish here. So, so, so how do we combat this, right? How do we combat this? And, and you know, in, in, so many people, I, I speak to so many people and, you know, and obviously I, I, I see the same divide that you do that everybody else does. And the divide is real, right? It's, it's a hundred percent real. It's um, we are just at opposite ends and there's no finding middle ground. It appears, it appears there's no middle ground here. How do we, how do we beat this back? How do we, how do we win this war? Well, I, I would say that there are three pieces. We can talk about them. You know, we can talk about any ones you want. There's um, what do we do as individuals, right? Because no matter who you are, I mean, every good patriotic American has to exist in today's society. 
right? They've got family members, they've got friends, they've got neighbors, they've got coworkers, they've got bosses, got people on social media. So you have to know, so, so there are the techniques that you're gonna need in the small to stand strong. Never, as I say, never bow, never kneel. Um, that's one. Two is uh, where we go to um, society at large. How do we change the structures that brought us to this point? I mean, progressivism, despite what people may think, is not part of a conspiracy. Soros, the Tides Foundation, or somebody else is pulling all the strings. It, it actually emerged as a completely organic movement. And what I mean by that is people making day-to-day -day rational, reasonable decisions over the course of decades took us to this completely outrageous place. Um, and, uh, you know, the third issue is how do we spot what they're doing and, and know how to, you know, know how to disentangle what's really going on from what we're told is going on. So why don't you take a pick? Where do you want to go first? Yeah, well, he, here's the deal is, um, you know, organic or not, I think it's very well coordinated, not just here in the U.S., but globally. You know, we see, you know, we see this very, very well coordinated effort, you know, hiding underneath this progressivism or utopia seeking thing. But when you look at it global and you look at it, you know, you look at the, uh, so the socialists or the progressives in Europe, you look at the ones in Latin America, you look at the one, you know, you look at, you look at Russia, China, Iran, you know, North Korea, they're all aligned. They're all aligned. Yes. And, and their number one, and their, their, their only target is to take down the United States. So, you know, it's a very dangerous thing. And, and people don't get that. People don't understand that. And they, they, they don't realize that if they take down the U.S., we're going to turn into the rest of these, you know, shithole countries. I mean, that's just a fact, right? And what I don't get is how did the Democratic Party get hijacked by these hooligans? Because not all Democrats believe that. And they believe that, you know, that if they take power, they win, they can control and beat down or beat back this radicalism in their own party but they realize that they need them to win um i don't think they can i think i i think they have been taken over i think they've been hijacked and i think it's done the democrats are who they are today um i don't think there's a coming back for them do you not in the short term no i mean they they need to go through a whole cycle i mean you know 20 30 40 years every political party will cycle through something but no they're they're not the, the, the Democrats are not coming back to reason anytime soon. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. How do you see the election playing out? I mean, you know, the, the, the polls obviously are the polls. It is what it is. The president's facing an uphill battle right now with the economy and COVID. Things shut down. Massive. Yeah, so I'm, you know? I'm, I'm worried about the election. First of all, on um, simply substantive grounds, the easiest, most mindless, most common assessment that anybody can make is things suck, the guy in charge hasn't fixed them, let's give the other guy a shot, right? I mean, and, and in every election, there are huge numbers of people who vote on precisely that yeah. line of reasoning. So that's a concern. Um, the other thing is, 
you know, the Democrats are, are setting up an opportunity for massive election fraud. Right. Massive election fraud. Yeah, They've been doing it for years. Oh, yeah. And I believe, I believe that it was in place in 2016. And the reason that it wasn't, uh, the reason that it wasn't mobilized was that uh, they got overconfident. Yep. You know, election fraud is dirty. Yep. You actually do it, you're going to leave fingerprints. They're going to get caught. If you know you're going to win clean, why get dirty? Um, and that's what happened in 2016, and they will not repeat that mistake. We saw it in 2018. You know, 2018, people forget there were seven congressional races in California that ended election night with Republicans ahead. Right. And we got zero seats from them. Yep. Seven of seven swung back to the Democrats. Yep. Um, it starts with an aversion. They almost, they almost stole Georgia. They almost stole Florida. I mean, you know, there's, yeah. there's a lot of stuff out there. But I'll tell you something else. What they're doing now, I mean, you've got a combination. You've got a longstanding aversion to IDs, right? Which, you know, you have to say the only reason to oppose ID is that you want to permit fraud. Of course. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean you're committing fraud. It means you want to permit fraud. Right. Right. Um, now they're pushing for widespread mail ballots, right. which are necessarily insecure. And we've got ballot harvesting in, in a lot of states. Yep. Without I understand what ballot harvesting is. Yeah. Yep. Yep. They've been doing ballot, that. Yeah. Ballot harvesting means that I can, I, I can go around. I mean, after everybody gets their ballot in the mail, I can go around and do a favor of collecting from all my neighbors. And here's a stunning thing. I believe that there is actually case law in Wisconsin where ballot harvesting is legal. It says that it is legal for me to go collect ballots from all my neighbors, but I'm not required to turn them in. <laughs> all right, now, now that is a, you know, that, that is an absolutely stunning combination. Right. Yeah, yesterday, um, yesterday we had the uh, Secretary of State of Alabama, and he was talking yeah. about, you know, the expected fraud as well, you know, especially with uh, mail-in ballots. Uh, you know, one thing is an absentee. You request it, mail-in ballots. You just send them to every single registered voter in the state. And like he was saying, you know, right behind the post, the, 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 the post office guy, the mailman, is you know somebody in a pickup truck pulling them out of mailboxes filling them out with their candidate and then sending them in you know so yeah. that that's crazy uh, I'll, I'll, but i'll go you one better okay so let's assume we don't secure the election and we let these mail-in ballots and we let this ballot harvesting go on okay yep. and let's further assume against all odds there is no fraud okay Everybody acts with integrity. It's completely clean. All right? Now, I'm sitting around as the head of a foreign country that doesn't like the United States. Right. I don't want to do anything that's going to get the United States to bomb me or sanction me or get really nasty. But I know that Americans are all uptight about foreign interference in elections, right? Right. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get out there and spread a rumor, a false rumor, by the way. I'm going to spread a rumor that 
my country counterfeited millions of ballots and sent them to thousands of precincts around the United States. All right? It's a rumor. It's out there. It's floating around through social media. Now, I've got a country, the United States, that is highly attuned to the notion of foreign interference. People keep hearing about this stuff. Okay? Obviously, there has to be an investigation, right? Whoever wins the election can't say, eh, we're not going to take these rumors seriously, right? I mean, you know, I mean, I've already heard people say that they can't counterfeit ballots, but really, foreign countries can counterfeit $100 bills so well that you need a treasury official of to spot the flaw. So, of course, they can do it. So, you have to launch an investigation. Now, what happens when you launch an investigation? Well, first of all, you're going to find some weird stuff. The same weird stuff that always happens. There's always a mailbag that wasn't delivered. Right? Yeah, there's, there's, always, there's always dead people voting for Democrats. There's always. Yeah, but, Democrats. but you're going to find the same stuff you always do. Okay? Yep. Now, we got rumors floating around about foreign interference in the election, millions of ballots going across the country. Okay? We've got some weirdnesses detected. We've got an investigation being run by whoever won the election, whoever was declared the winner of the election. Right. And they're not going to find any evidence because I just made the whole thing up, right? So we know there was a cover-up because nothing proves a cover-up like the absence of evidence. That's right. Okay. And it can't be the evidence because it didn't happen. Right. All right. I have just, at zero cost and zero effort on the part of a foreign adversary, I have just undermined America's confidence in its election because the Democrats have insisted on setting up an environment that is easily defrauded, whether or not they actually defrauded. Yep. Yep. Amazing, man. Amazing. Hey, Bruce, we need to have you back. We're, we're, we're out of time. There is so much to talk about, man. It's... um. And, and as we get closer to the uh, to, to the election, it's uh, it's going to get uh, I think it's going to get even nastier and nastier and nastier. Yeah. Uh, Bruce, where do people follow you on social media? I know you're big on Twitter. You got a lot of big names following you as well. So, you know, let's get let's hear it. You can follow me, uh, BD Abramson, on Twitter, or I just signed up on Parlor. I'm not really active there yet, but uh, you never you never know. Uh, I, I publish in a variety of places. Um, I've had a number of pieces out recently in Newsweek uh, and also in the Epic Times, which, if your listeners don't know, is a very is a very fine publication. Yeah, it's kind of got a weird name, but it's a very fine publication. It's a good one, right? I mean, I, yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, how do you like Parlor so far? I've been playing around with it a little. Bit. I, I haven't really played around on it very much. Uh, yeah, you know. You know it, it's, I, 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 the funny thing is, I was active on Facebook for a long time. I had to quit Facebook because on Facebook I was connected to people I knew, and they were spouting such garbage. It was, uh, it was killing my day. Yeah, uh, you know what? I've lost, I've, I've, I've lost hundreds of real life yeah. friends on 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 social yeah. media because of social media. Um, if you look me up on Amazon, you can find any of my books. American Restoration is the most recent, although even that is now stuff I wrote in the middle of 2019. Um, New one coming out probably after the election until I see whether uh, whether my point will be we've got to struggle just to stay standing or we'd better take advantage of our position while we have it. Yep. Um, and uh, I'd, I'd love to come back. There's so much we could cover. Uh, just talking about dangers of election fraud uh, kind of jumped to the floor. 
Yeah, it's crazy. Ladies and gentlemen, Bruce Abramson. Thank you very much, Bruce. Uh, you. And, and, you know, hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll be back soon. Absolutely. Anytime. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back with more Battleground. Welcome back to Battleground. Let's talk politics with the great Jim Dornan. Jim, welcome back. Thank you, Ivan. Great to be back, my friend. Absolutely. God, what a week. What a week. Uh, there's so much to talk about. I mean, la last week you talked, about, talked to us about a lot of the races, the new, uh, the new Cook Report, uh, some of the uh, some of the states and races that uh, that that had, that had moved from leaning to uh, to leaning one way to leaning the other to uh, up for grabs. Um, we, we saw this disaster in, uh, in in that Senate race in Georgia. We can talk about that. Uh, I'd love to hear your your uh, your your input on that. And and if you want to walk us through <clears throat> the disaster and the joke of that thing they called the hearing yesterday. And, uh, <laughs> and especially your buddy. I know, I know you and Jerry go way back and, you know, you can tell us a little bit about that. Obviously I'm kidding. <laughs> what is wrong with that guy, Jim? Holy crap. Maybe he got his brain handled even further in that car accident before the hearing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Maybe that affected him. I don't know, man. But what is wrong with that dude? I mean, he, he that, that guy is just bizarre. And he goes and, and, and he says, publicly that these riots and this violence in, in Portland is a myth. Well, that seems to be the Democrats narrative on all the riots going on, that these are quote unquote peaceful protesters. I love the video that Jim Jordan had yesterday. It was, it was pretty amusing. He's a stud uh, though, man. He is a stud. But he, uh, he, listen, he knows his stuff. He's gotten better as he, as he, as he's got more tenure in Congress. He's, he's a smart guy, obviously. Yeah. Um, and is, I, I think, is, he, is he a client? Can I ask that or no? He's not. No, no, no. Full disclosure, not a client. Um, right, he, I uh, was thinking maybe he went through the school of uh, Jim Dornan, you know, for politics. <laughs> that dude's a stud, bro. That guy is. Uh, that guy's sharp. That guy's sharp. Huh? Well, you know what? I I think what the video showed more than anything is that the whole thing was a farce. I mean, to call a dog and pony show would be an insult to dogs and ponies, right? Yeah. I mean, that was an embarrassment. Uh, the U.S. Congress is not supposed to operate like that. Uh, that was not even close to what is called an oversight hearing. It was a beat up Bill Barr hearing. And frankly, I think the Democrats came across looking like complete idiots. Yeah. Uh, and Does that transfer over to the other side, though, to independence? The, 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 the independence? Uh, you know what? I, I think, well, first of all, it's almost August. So there aren't a whole lot of people paying attention. Yeah. I mean, maybe there are more than usual this time of year because everyone's home or a lot of people are home. Yeah. But, um, and I mean, you're getting fed what, what you want to hear, you know? I mean, I, I literally turn, kept the sound on for every Republican and turned the sound off for every Democrat because yeah. every Democrat was saying the same thing. And, and the Republicans have to get off the, um, I mean, Durham's going to take care of the, of the, uh, of the hoax stuff, the Russian stuff rather. Uh, and, and, and hopefully we'll put this to bed. I mean, it, it'll, it'll gin up the Trump's base for a while and that's good. They need to be ginned up because that's the only way he's going to beat Biden right now, as far as I can tell. Yep. And, um, and so, but yesterday, I mean, yesterday was just absolutely ridiculous. And I, I, if I was a member of that committee as Democrat, I would not be showing my face. Jim, what the hell has happened to politics, man? You're the guru. You gotta, you gotta enlighten us. What has happened to our country? What has happened to, to politics? I keep on going back. And my, my answer is always this when people ask me, I don't know if I'm right. You're, you're the teacher, you're the professor, 
help us. Is it gerrymandering? Is that what has destroyed our country? I think, that's, our I think that's part of it. Absolutely think that's part of it. I think 24. Well, you don't think it's all of it. So No, 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 no. God, no. Uh, I think it's 24-7 news cycle. Um, but frankly, I think it's social media. But frankly, Ivan, this goes back to 1994, when the Republicans took control of the House for the first time in 40 years. Yep. Now, this is the way, and I, I was there, so I can yeah, speak. contract with America, brother. Yep. Exactly. And I, and I can speak from a fair amount of knowledge in that the Republicans and Democrats both handled it incredibly poorly. Yep. The Democrats couldn't believe that they were kicked out of power after 40 years. And the Republicans were like, okay, payback is hell. Yep. And so that started this divide. And then you had the Clinton impeachment stuff, which just- That, that really poisoned well, man. That and, really and it just, poisoned well. Then, then you move into W and Iraq, and Iraq, which made it even worse. Well, before that, right? Gore v. Gore v. Well, they, exactly. There you go. Yep, that's a good point. Gore, Gore v. Bush, very much so. Bush, Iraq, Obama- who was supposed to be this great healer was instead Messiah. a great provider. Messiah, he was going to lower the tides and heal the planet. Right, exactly. None of that happened. Right. And all he did was heighten the anger. <laughs> well, so, I, you know, and, and, and it's curious because, you know, I thought that, you know, that by electing the first African-American president, it, it was really going to heal a lot, of, a lot of people on the left. And I think they weaponized race during that 2018 and they haven't stopped to this day you know no, if, I, I, if, you I, if you didn't vote for obama you're a racist if you opposed him or his policies you're a racist and you did it because he was black and they have kept on this race thing to the point where you have this marxist organization called black lives matter hiding under this racial justice systematic systematic racism all this crap but really, it's a Marxist organization trying to tear down the essence of America. It's well, and, and let me address that in a second. But going back to when Obama was first elected, you know, he has that first meeting with Boehner and Paul Ryan. And instead of saying, how can we come together to make this country work? Um, Boehner said, Boehner says something to him. I can't remember exactly what it was. And basically, Obama said, tough shit, you lost. Yep. You know, and, and uh, you know, that, that's not a healer. That's a divider. And that's exactly what Obama did for eight years. Yep. Um, I think I think he's inherently racist, to be quite honest with oh, you. Hell yeah. uh, and I've said that many, many times uh, to anybody that'll listen. But and, and you're right. And, and his presidency, his presidency created two things. It created Antifa uh, because they that that group of anarchists and thugs yep. uh, found a home in the Democratic Party. And it all, and also, and, and Trump has not been helpful, frankly, you know, I mean, I, 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 love, I love his policies, but I mean, he had no intention of being a healer when he came in and, and, and everybody knew that when they voted for him or voted against him. Yeah. I think, you know, people elected him to come into Washington and kick the damn table over. Right. Yeah. Well, and he did. And yeah. he did. Yeah. He's not so. all of them, I think. <laughs> and maybe threw some chairs. So <laughs> Yeah. But how do we move forward? I mean, is there a way forward? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I, I wonder, you know, Biden, you know, this is what Biden's quote unquote platform is, right? But I don't think, A, a I don't think he's with it enough to be able to, you know, have that kind of control over his administration if he wins. That's A. And B, he's, you can already see he's, he's playing to his far left base. 
because yep. he doesn't want to anger him. He wants to get him out to vote. And so he's placating him with all these ridiculous uh, uh, issue platform ideas. Well, he so, can't win without that radical left, right? Correct. Correct. Because, I mean, look at Hillary. Those yep. people left Hillary in droves because they thought she screwed Bernie. Yep. So, um, you know, I, 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 I like, I'd like to think, yes, that would be a case that either Trump would mellow or Biden would actually um, adhere to his own rhetoric. But I'm not sure that's going to happen. I think maybe 2024 might might be the, the better time for that to happen. And that's only if Republicans take control of one of the houses if if Trump loses, because yeah. they have leverage then and they have something from what to work. Uh, you know, I've seen these idiots like uh, uh, is Rick Wilson or one of, one of the anti-Trump Ricks who are, who are saying that we're going to have epic losses of the Watergate era in, in this year. And I don't think it's going to be quite that bad, but we do, we, we are going to need to recover as a party at some point, either post-Trump 2020, 2020 or post-Trump 2024. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see, man, but uh, man, it, it, you know, you see the Democrats and it's a scary thing. It's a yeah. scary thing, you know, what's going on over there. And, you know, you know, you're, you're, you're a vet of these wars, uh, that's why we love having you on the show to talk about them, you know, but circling back to that hearing yesterday, you see, you know, almost the, the, the fury and the hate from the left. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it, it is very scary. Uh, and I don't actually, it's a, it's a chicken or egg thing. I'm not sure if they're driving their base or their base is driving them, no. uh, because they were so angry over Trump winning. Um, I mean, they never thought it was going to happen. Uh, they, they still can't get over it. I mean, they haven't gotten over it. Uh, and you know what? And what, but I will, I will say this one thing. I may have mentioned this last week to you. I still can't get over who these pissant little 20 somethings are that are out there demanding free stuff. Who are their parents? Who raised them to believe that garbage? That has nothing to do with working hard and, and, living the American dream. It's just like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to work hard. I mean, did you see those? Did we talk about that, that group of 20-somethings of, uh, in Florida who's pissed off at the Biden campaign because they're unionized and they're not getting any more say in the, the setup of the campaign? And if I'm, if I'm Biden's people, I'm saying, screw you, you're fired. Right. That's the people who are going to work down there. That's amazing. It's, it's just so bizarre. Last week, you talked about um, you, you talked about something that was really important. Um, well, everything is, but, you know, the Congress going into recess without passing something. Um, that would be political suicide. You know, obviously for our side, I think, you know, for either side, it's it, it's, it's damaging. Um, I brought this up to the secretary, um, you know, Secretary Mer Merle yesterday. I was looking at some numbers, um, about 40 million Americans, now that the moratorium has been lifted or facing eviction, um, you look at these high numbers all over the country, Florida, 51% are facing eviction, Maryland, the people's Republic of Maryland, 42%, you know, and numbers, staggering numbers like that, you know, 40 plus percent all over the nation are facing this situation. That's crazy. If that were to happen, I don't care how much stimulus you push forward, the, the, the country would collapse. 
Well, it, it's not actually um, done until – it doesn't expire until Friday. So what I think is going to happen, especially based – I don't know if you saw Trump's little, uh, uh, you know, pool spray before he got on the plane. And he's with Mnuchin and Meadows, by the way, on that plane yep. for two hours to talk. Um, but he said, you know, we're going to do something. I mean, and I, he was determined – it, you could just tell from the way, you know, when Trump is like messing around and he's like, eh, I don't know, you, you really hadn't made up his mind on, on something. Nope. This one, he's made his mind up. He said, we're going to do something. He's, definitely evictions are going to be covered and it may be short term and some kind of employment short term. And probably, be something done, right? Because I was just thinking about, well, I didn't even know the numbers were that big. But when I saw that, I saw those numbers, I was scared. Well, it's, it's. Uh, can you imagine 40 something percent Florida, 51% of Floridians are going to be on the street. Yep. That that's, that would be, dude, that that's like bigger than the great depression. Right. I, I, I agree with you completely. That's why. How, how does a country, how does a country move forward from that? It, it, we would be in a massive depression. Well, this is why I'm so ticked off at Trump and McConnell for screwing around for so long. I mean, the Dems have a point when they said, we passed this three weeks ago, where you guys been? And, you know, so McConnell says, okay, we're starting this. Well, all last week, he couldn't get his own players together on on his team, you know? So, I I mean, that's disappointing. Um, Let's hope we can move forward on this. It it looks like there are some lines in the sand that are going to be really hard, which is why I think a short-term extension of both the eviction um, right, delay. Foreclosures, right? Foreclosures and evictions or something. Foreclosures and evictions. And I think they're going to wind up extending the $600 until they can come up with some kind of plan on that. How, so, do, you, how do you get back? I mean, this is just so crazy. How does a country come back from this? They should have never shut this freaking thing down. No, I know. I, you know what? I, I don't know the answer to that question. I, I wish I did. I wish I had a magic wand. And um, I don't know if you saw the, NBC uh, or ABC rather uh, story that had all the six people they called them the uh, red tide red dawn rising when they first discovered that this thing was happening and they were sending out alarms and then they were saying well maybe it's not that bad and they didn't realize that uh, asymptomatic people could infect other people I mean this thing has been I mean I don't want to say it's been mishandled from the beginning it's been misunderstood from the beginning and and, and every fix yeah, it makes my stomach turn, bro. I know, and well, every fix has not worked. Every attempted fix. <sighs> I'm going to invite you to this um, to the Zoom happy hour on Sundays. That uh, this this great guy Jeffrey Hazlett. He's a former CMO for Kodak, top executive guy. He uh, he has these called Scotch happy hours, uh, and it's and it's really cool. He um, he actually has a whole bunch of folks like him, you know big C-level executives, Fortune 50, Fortune 20, Fortune 500 companies. And they just sit around and just have conversations, not political, but, you know, about anything. And, you know, the two, two Sundays ago, um, we were talking about this situation and these numbers and, and, and almost cataclysmic situation that we're in because if, if that, that, that high of a percentage of people get evicted, it's cataclysmic, right? Well, yeah, and, 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 you know, they brought something up, which also scared the shit out of me, Jim, because, you know, both me and you are fiscal conservatives, right? Um, they said, you know, aside from the trillions of dollars that, uh, that, that 
has already been spent to try and hold this thing up from going over the cliff. They believe it's going to take another ten trillion, ten trillion dollars to uh, to hold to hold this thing and pull it back, you know, and pull it back. And uh, and I said, oh my God, ten trillion dollars! And he goes, uh, I I believe something around that would have to happen, and probably you know before before the election, there's got to be a way to write all this you know, mortgages and evictions and rents and all this stuff, which is really the big, the big, I guess the big ticket, right? right. Uh, just giving people 600 bucks isn't going to pay rent, isn't going to pay a mortgage. So how do you do that? And I, you know, and I, and I remember I was talking about it and I was like, well, you can't just pay everybody's rent. You can't just pay everybody's mortgage. How do you fix that? So may, maybe throw it to the back. I don't know. There's got to be some kind of heal, right? And, yeah. and I don't think anybody knows the answer, you know, talking to these big, big executives and they don't have the answers either. No, when all we can hope is that, you know, we get, we get the vaccine at some point. I mean, I volunteered this week to, I saw uh, I saw to, do, to do that. I mean, I want to do my part to help this country move forward. And as I said in my Facebook post, if I'm going to save humanity, <laughs> might as well start now <laughs> and you're a patriot brother you're a patriot you know we love having you on the show dude and uh i, I you know I, I hope that thing works out man um we, we we can't we can't stay the way we are no 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 i mean and, and it, it seems like we're just kind of floating along and there's just we're, we're doing patchwork stuff right now and patchwork never works there's no strategy uh, by either side by the way right. and i wish this i didn't even have to say either side this should be something that we could all get together, you know, around like, like HW's Iraq invasion, you know, 90% of the country was on board with that, yep. you know, and, and, and 90% of the country should be on board on something. And we, we just, we don't have the answer and we don't have the co cohesion. Is there lack of leadership, Jim? Uh, I, I, yeah, I, part of the problem is, is that Trump never thinks he's wrong. Now he has admitted that he made some mistakes. And that was a very poignant and, and great moment, I think, for him. The question is, does it stick? Um, but, but I think the same things with, with Pelosi. She's, she's like, okay, I'm gonna throw $3 trillion at things like, you know, pulling, pulling Illinois out of its freaking pension crisis. That's not gonna help this country move forward or get rid of the, of the virus, you know? And, um, and so I, I, I think that, there's not a real, I don't think we have a true leader right now in, in this country who, A, people will listen to. And, um, you know, we also, we all, in the 80s, we all thought that Lee Iacocca was the answer, right? A businessman. Well, we got a businessman. And, and while he's done some really good things as president, he also has not brought this country together. Right. And, and, I think know, on policy, I think policy, he's, he's awesome. Um, yeah, he's been, I, 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 I said last week. I, mean, yeah, I think on unity. Um, you know, you can't give him a 10, right? You no, can't give him no, a 10. I, so. I mean, no, no, policy has been great for the most part, but, but as far as, you know, reaching out, I mean, I, I just, I just, I just don't see it. And I, I, I wish it was there. Well, the other side, to be fair, too, has been, you know, throwing gasoline. Oh, God, yeah. On, at bonfires, right? And, and, and spreading them into inner cities, lighting cities on fire. You know, it, it's hard to talk to, you know, look, you know, we had James uh, Gagliano on, on Monday. That dude's a stud, West Point, Army guy, 
you know, over 20 years in the Bureau, you know, leadership level stuff. He was telling us a story how he met Andy McCabe, you know, when he was a young SWAT guy, you know, <laughs> that worked for him. Um, you know, so this guy's been around a lot. And, and like he was saying, he's like, you can't talk to terrorists. And right now, the other side are terrorists. You know, unfortunately, what they're doing, the behavior, and the Democratic Party is allowing them to, to act that way, to behave that way. When Jerry Nadler, your boy, your buddy, you know, uh, I'm kidding about that. But when he sits there and he says, you know, that that's a myth, you're allowing, you're condoning that behavior. You're saying, I'm going to turn the other yeah, team, I, I don't, you know, because, you I, know, I it, it I works for us. I honestly do not understand that narrative at all. Um, because what that is doing, and, and if, if Trump, quote unquote, uses this in the right way, I mean, he, and we talked about this a little last week. Yep. He, I mean, Pete, suburban housewives want safety and security for their families. And what the, what the violence and, and insanity that they are promoting in these cities is handing Trump a campaign issue. And, and Trump should take it and run with it. Yeah. I know I know he's trying to. Yeah, but, you know, the, the, the left. Quite on the narrative. Yep. But the left is pushing all these videos about, you know, women and people getting kidnapped by, you know, unmarked vehicles. And That's, those are all lies. That's fake news. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what it is. Yeah, that is fake news. I mean, I, and I, I saw uh, I saw some of the marshals interviewed yesterday very clearly on their front of their vest, their their flak jacket. Yeah. It says United States Marshal. Yeah. Does it give their name? No. Right. But you know what? I don't see the name and, and they don't because a friend of mine, a friend of a friend of mine was totally doxxed after they saw he was he was a policeman in another city. And he was totally doxxed after he, they saw his name on his badge. Yep. And, and I'm glad so, you brought that up because that's huge, right? Because they're saying, no, there's no names, there's no names. But when they had the names, they doxxed a lot of these officers. And, 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 and they were calling, I saw so many tweets online saying, hey, you know, if you're out there and you're protesting and you see the names of these guys, put them online. Let's share their information. Let's share the, you know, their addresses, what school their kids go to. This is, you know, those are real live threats well i saw a uh i saw an uh, a tweet to aoc after she and uh, pelosi introduced that bill requiring names on and i said well are you going to require the names on the protesters uh front chest as well so we can find out who those people are that's right yeah you know, that's right of course there was no answer from the left yeah yeah <laughs> it's, it's it's hilarious hey jim how do you see it right now you know one more week into the 90s, right? Where we're 90 something days away from the election. Has anything moved since we last talked? No, I, well, I saw, I saw, and I did not do a deep dive. I saw that Trump's numbers are up a little bit. Um, I th think you're going to see that back and forth. Uh, his numbers actually are better today than they were four years ago against Hillary, believe it or not, head to head with, with Biden. So that's, that's a good sign, I think. Um, you know, if he, he keeps focused, you know, and, and, and I think he's getting it. And I think Septian has done a pretty good job of keeping him focused since he was brought on as manager. Yeah. I think if he keeps down that path, uh, and he's going to have an unfettered August because, you know, Biden's going to be buried in his basement. He's not going to say a word. Um, I, I think that there, you know, things are looking a little bit better than they were a couple weeks ago. So, you know, obviously 90 days in this 
climate. Things are going to change every other day. It's an eternity. Um, it's an eternity. Yeah. It's like 90 years, right? They, need, like to, they years. need to get this, they need to get this Corona bill passed and then, uh, then, you know, dive into the election and, and, you know, there are going to be debates. At least they say they're going to be debates. I know. And, and I was going to ask you that. Are they going to continue to hide Biden? Hide and Biden. That seems a strategy. They, they can't. I don't see how they can't. I mean, and Trump will clean the floor with him in a debate. You know, you don't think it, they're going to you don't think they're going to recuse him for, for from debates. You think he's going to. I, I, think, I think they're going to try. But the but the their problem is, is that. And I think they've been working the venues. That's what I, you know, I'm not being a conspiracy theorist, but I think these Notre Dame and University of Michigan, both very liberal institutions, um, were responding to Biden campaign saying, cancel this event, cancel this event. The problem is the Biden campaign doesn't have a say in these debates. It's the debate commission, which is equally divided between Republicans and Democrats. So there, there are gonna be debates. The question is, do we get an actual debate with them in the same room? Or do we get some kind of watered down crap with a Zoom with a Zoom meeting with a Zoom with a Zoom debate? Yeah, with with Trump on one screen and Biden on the other. And I mean, and that does not help Trump at all. Trump needs to be in the same room so people can see the comparison, and that's how I think he wins this campaign. You're the guru, man. You're the professor. So it happens. You think Thank without you, a doubt, man. huh? I said, "Thank you, my friend. I appreciate that." So you think it definitely does happen? Biden will debate Trump. I, I don't see even even his 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 sycophants in the mainstream media. Uh, I I think they know he's got a debate. I mean, especially because the question and Trump's done a great job on this too. Especially on the question of mental acuity, yep. you know. So um, if he says no, I think it's going to make a lot of people think. Okay, what are they hiding? They're not really paying attention right now. I think September, October. They're going to say, after Labor okay. Day, man, after Labor Day, it, warm, it heats up, right? Everything changes real. after Labor Day. It gets real. Hey, um, so, dude, you know what? That, that gives me so much hope, uh, knowing that, that the debates will happen. I think uh, I'm with you. Trump rolls them and destroys them, and, and uh, that, 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 that's going to give me a, little, a lot of peace of mind. Um, do you think uh, the uh, Kamala Harris thing was a, uh, was a juke, or was it real? You know what? I'm still trying to sort that out. Um, you know, because because uh, Susan um, Susan Rice, uh, Susan yeah, Susan Rice. Sorry, I was thinking Susan King for some reason. Anyway, Susan Rice. Uh, you know, she was the she was the she was blossoming at the beginning of the week, and then all of a sudden, you see this uh, this piece of paper that the reporter got the picture on. Maybe well, that the was politi- a setup. the political thing, right? The political thing too, right? Right, right. Of course. I mean, maybe it was a setup. Maybe it was set up and. Biden's got us all fooled and he's going to pick the mayor of Atlanta. <laughs> well, you know, or it could be a juke, right? It's, ah, Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris. And then he pulls Susan Rice out again, right? Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I, yeah, I, yeah. Essentially what I was saying, yeah. I, I, and, you know, he's, apparently he's really big on close relationships. They work very closely together in the Obama administration. Personal relationships are a good thing, um, or a, a big thing for him. Well, and in Rice. fact... The one thing that does give me hope if he's somehow elected is that his relationship with McConnell is very good. Good. And so whenever, whenever Obama had a problem with the Republican Senate, he would send Biden up to talk to McConnell. Now, I don't know if Biden's hands become tied, you know, because he doesn't have 
the, the blessing of Obama or probably anybody in the, on the left wing to be able to cut a deal with McConnell. But, you know, again, we'll wait and see. I, I'll, I'll, I'll wait until I see a Biden presidency before I start worrying about that. That's right. Hey, quick question before we, uh, before we part here. Um, does Susan Rice do it? Does she do it as a VP nominee on that ticket to, to bring the uh, Obama coalition back together? No, I don't think so. In fact, I think it's just the opposite. I think it, it fires up the Trump base, Benghazi, uh, and, uh, and, you know, the Russia hoax that she was obviously involved in, too. So I, I think I think it would be a mistake. I, I don't think she she hurts like with independence or anybody like that. But I think that she does move the Trump base up to a higher intensity. Awesome, brother. It's always a pleasure to have you. Ladies and gentlemen, the professor, the great Jim Dornan. Jim, thanks for coming on, man. No problem, Ivan. Love you, my brother, and I'll talk to you very soon. Absolutely. Thank you, guys, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow on Battleground. Take care. Friends, this election means more than anything in our lifetime. I know we've heard everybody say this so many times, but this time it's true. We have Marxism openly fighting in our streets, burning down cities. That is why the Hispanic vote is so, so important. You've heard our guests talk about it. You know, we need to be the vanguard of freedom. We need to defend it. We know exactly what Marxism is. It has destroyed Latin America, it has destroyed the world, it has destroyed so many other places. That's why we, were, we have been working so hard to bring the Hispanic vote back to the Republican Party where it belongs. Uh, before this pandemic, we talked about and we've seen polls where the Hispanic approval numbers of, of the president have been 49, 50, 51, 52%. Um, that number would destroy the Democrats, would be a slam dunk landslide victory for the president. We need to continue our work. Please visit hlc.gop uh, and make a donation, share with your friends. We can't do it without you. The Hispanic Leadership Council is obviously the sponsor of the show. Uh, and, and it is the work that we are trying to do. We need to bring that vote to the Republican Party back where it belongs. Please join us, hlc.gop. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>